Welcome to another episode of Rough Talk VR, a weekly podcast with in-depth game reviews, exclusive developer interviews, and the latest Oculus Quest news. We join our hosts, D Scruffles and Stratus2k1 today as they spend another episode breaking down and discussing the Oculus Quest virtual reality world. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Monday Morning Coffee. Today we have a very special guest we're going to be speaking with. He is the director of the film that we were able to watch, Madrid Noir. So please everyone, welcome James Castillo. James, welcome. It's my absolute pleasure. So real quick, before we get started and into things, if you wouldn't mind explaining to people exactly who you are. Yeah, uh, I'll try to be brief because I don't want to. I don't want to like uh, um, just hang for too long. Um, so I'm I'm originally from Spain. From I, I was born in Madrid and I grew up in Madrid. Um, that sort of it became a big part of the project just because I wanted to showcase the place that I grew up in. I very early on always was interested in in working in in, in the visual arts and I was I was studying illustration and comic book. Uh, I kind of worked a little bit on, on like underground indie, like fan scene, comic book stuff when I was growing up. And then early on, I moved into animation. I worked as a designer mostly for the last 10 years, both in video games uh, and animation. In animation, mostly doing commercials. And recently, I've been working a lot in different TV shows and films. Um, and a few years ago, I took my first steps into the VR world with a film called Melita. It came out like in 2015, I believe. And I did art direction for that. And that was my first ever sort of experience of what it was, not just to watch VR, but to create a narrative with the with VR as a tool and having conversations with the director of that project to sort of see how we could, you know, use the possibilities of this new technology to tell stories in a different way. And the, I left that project with my brain just like fully stimulated with ideas and and thoughts on on what worked and what didn't work in VR and and at that time Google Spotlights was very much uh, at at full steam just the, like releasing project after project with very interesting directors and very interesting takes on VR and all of that stuff just combined into me sort of crystallizing this idea of making like a, a theater play type vr story and then after years of work and and finding the right people we that became madri noir so i kind of answered your question kind of gave a little bit more context for where the project came where the project came from i hope that's okay so as a director being used to working with people in commercials and uh, movies i'm assuming this was a much harder route to take as in doing vr well it's it's the complete unknown so it's like in in commercials, like it's a lot of very fast paced work, and but all the pipelines, all the all the all the stuff is just like is so known. Like everybody just understands exactly how to do things, the process of doing things. So you are there, and it's intense, and you're doing it, but but you are safe within those those constraints. Whereas in VR, you you start saying, "I want to make." A theatrical narrative thing in VR, and and you don't even I don't, I didn't even have the understanding of the technology of the real time engine and stuff like that to even fathom how you would start making it. So in that terms, it's really hard because you have to like a lot of steps that, or like a lot of the pipeline that you're going to end up creating for the project is probably the first time ever every, anybody has ever done anything like it, like in VR, because it's such a new medium that pretty much. Anything that you do, 
would be the first thing of that type that exists within the VR world. So you're going to have to make a lot of like things from scratch. Yeah, man. I definitely called this film absolutely groundbreaking. <laughs> hey, it is, you know. <laughs> that that is uh that thank you that's very humbling um yeah but a film like this had to take years to make right yes yeah yeah from the original like you know I, as, as as a designer i tend to like always start with a log line and uh, but i need to have a, an illustration like a drawing that that crystallizes the idea a little bit more and that first drawing that was ever done for the project i think is from 2015 or something like that so you can imagine like from there from there then you know developing the characters the story thinking about it we like the process of making the final product took a little bit longer because we i pitched the idea to nogos which is the the studio that made it they're, they're based here in london and and we did like a five minute little short film that it kind of has all the basic ideas of the project that would end up becoming what you had what you guys have seen, but it still was very green in some of the especially in the story and some of the technology that we used and stuff like that. But that short film managed to get through a couple of festivals and a couple of presentations that we did. And it got into it got us in touch with some producers that wanted to make it into something bigger, and then Oculus came in. So there was a lot of stops through the journey. All together, probably took like about four years. The actual production of making this this project took a, took a year and a half. We started working on January 2020, just before the pandemic started. Oh my God! So you're talking like legitimately half a decade. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's actually one of the things I had wondered, like 45 minute movie and you're looking at almost half a decade of solid work to put this together. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's surprising how you know, sometimes I it uh, I remember like when I was studying all the people's like all big filmmakers that I that I admire and you see their their body of work. A lot of them make a handful of movies in their career and you always kind of question like why why is it that that they're not making one after the other after the other after the other and it is because a lot of these things like they take most of the time that 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 it, that it takes making a movie like 80 percent of it is the thinking of it is the constantly being like troubleshooting your ideas trying to make a story work better trying to figure out the characters their conflicts how the format is going to work there's a lot of like writing scripts, throwing them away, rewriting scripts, throwing them away, and do it again, 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 again. And then once you get there, like after years of really, you know, trying to take all the fat out, then you are left with that like very solid forty-five minutes in our case of like, okay, I think with this we can make a very interesting thing in VR. Um, that also like you know allows for a very constrained budget. Because, you know, being the, our first project, we knew that we were, we were not going to be able to find an immense, crazy budget. So we we had to be very smart about what scenes we wanted in, what was strictly necessary, what for the story, stuff like that. So, you know, considerations that, that, um, that I feel sometimes like when you have all the money in the world, you just want to put everything that you ever think about. And sometimes you can end up with things that feel redundant just because, and you put things just because you can. In our case we had to very much think 
very strictly about what was strictly necessary for the story to work. All right, man. I'm going to jump to some things about something about the movie, but I don't think I'm going to give anything away by talking about no, it. Don't worry. So whose idea was all that, that beautiful looking scenery, the, the details above and beyond? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, I always had the idea of making. So one of the things that I remember coming out from this project that I worked on years ago, thinking, and also by seeing other VR projects was, I, I personally had a problem with when people were cutting from scene to scene and they were fading to black and then positioning you in a completely different location because it always took you a, a few extra seconds to figure out where you were compared to the characters. And then that time that you would fi- like you would spend figuring out where you were, you were disconnected from the story. So I always felt that in theater, they do something very clever, which is you are always looking at the same thing, which is the stage. But that stage could be a rooftop, it could be an interior, it could be a city escape, it could be anything, right? And that I took it like as a, as a direction to go with this because I wanted to make sure that everybody could follow the story without any hesitation of, or any doubt or, or, you know, as to where to look at and stuff like that. So the idea of making it like a, like a theater set came really early on and my first drawings already had some of that implemented in there but then I we brought like we made a, a small art department that was comprised of me Juan Chocrespo which is my our art director and Fanny who's our production designer and us three together we did a trip to, to Madrid we took a lot of photos we started like looking doing a lot of like almost like location scouting like going through books we found archives of, of, of photographs of how Madrid looked like in the 1930s. And we started sort of trying to distill and sketch and figure out what locations or what buildings would be interesting to make, what would look better, and then how to create, you know, like um, almost like, especially the, the, the sets in which Lola goes outside into the streets and you are seeing a more miniature-like world. To us, that was just a... a, a you know, we wanted to make sure that we could show like um like a long shot in a movie, right? We need to show distance, and because Lola is following her uncle, we needed to show like that that they could walk through a, a, a big enough distance that you could sort of, but you could follow it really quickly. So we decided to make the world smaller so you could have a more bird's eye view of the entire set, and that led to this very what like what we call the diorama like sets which are my favorite sets in the whole project um and but all that came combining what we knew of madrid us living in madrid like we know like the specificity of it like the certain the way the bars look like the way the typography of the buildings are the way the 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 street lights look like all that stuff that came from our own experience and then just taking stuff from theater and then give it our own vr twist sort of gave us that that aesthetic of the of the um of the lo- of the locations that 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 you were talking about, man. I I thought the visuals were absolutely stunning. <laughs> <laughs> nah, for real. I was I was telling D Scruffles. I'm like, look at the, the level of detail going on here. Absolutely above and beyond, man. Yeah, I think the only thing that was actually missing was being able to to really smell the environment that you're in. And you know, I'll give you guys actually a lot of credit for really pushing the uh, 
the level of the Oculus Quest uh, in real creative ways with like the lighting and things like that. Oh, thank you. That that was that's totally cheated. That that's so it's so that that was one of our like big breakthroughs. Um, I remember with the team because like also this this comes down to in a in a more developer level the quest is quite limited as a as a device right to do certain things because we wanted to do something noir we knew from the beginning like i i i made a, a like a sort of like a i i stopped my foot on the ground saying like i need some lighting like i need to be able to use a light a little bit on this because otherwise we're losing so much of the aesthetic and so much of the look um Part of the reason, like what I was going to talk about, is that part of the reason why we making the theater sets became not just a good choice, like thematically, but also technically, is because it meant that the sets could be could look really well, could look very good. Sorry, but they weren't very um, uh, polygon heavy. So we, because you know, most of them are just like planes that create the illusion of of space, but they're pretty minimal. So that meant that we could create, you know, we had some memory left to do some lighting. But the lighting, we only have one um, one source of light that creates shadows. Everything else is done with what we call blockers, so invisible geometry that would cast shadows and would direct the light in the way that we wanted. So we could create those very graphic, sharp beams of light throughout the sets to to guide the eyes of the of the audience to where the places that were was important to look. And I'm, I'm, it, it looks really good. I'm very proud of it because it's all very cheeky. It's all, it's all really cheeky and very twisty of us. Yeah. And absolutely kind of what you said before. It's nothing against Oculus. No, no, no. It's what it is. You know, it's just, it, it's a mobile processor in the end. Uh, for a VR headset, there's only so much you can do. Mm. But, you know, instead of just having plain black lighting, uh, it was real creative the way you guys were able to really push the levels of the Oculus. Oh, thanks. No, even that that main, I don't want to give anything away, and I don't think I am, but even that main start area with the light, and then most importantly, seeing that dust in it. I know, it's those little... Yeah, man, it was like, look at the dust. (laughs) It was right after that, that's when I did the full 360 turnaround. It was like, look, it's a full set. (sighs) Ah, That's cool. That's the thing with VR, is is the little... Is just adding those those particles of dust is something very easy, to, f- fairly easy to do, but it comes very much at the very end of the production, right? So it's something that it was very hard to deal with coming from making animation for two D sort sort of rendered CG animation stuff. Is that everything in v, like everything in Unreal looks like shit for like ninety percent of the time. And then at that last, la- those last few months where you are actually applying all the effects, all the shaders, all the stuff, everything starts like coming alive and really being like enhanced by a thousand. But for a very long time, a lot of those scenes were like quite poor. And I, I, we were all very worried, like, is this going to work? Is this going to be like, is the atmosphere going to work? And then once you put the lighting, you put the textures, you put the dust, it just all kind of comes together into this like very nice sort of flawless experience. No, it's every every level of detail with this movie, and I admit I've watched it more than once now. Oh, that's that's a compliment. No, the the first time I watched it, I obviously paid attention to the storyline. The second time I watched it, I was more intrigued with paying attention to the detail. But this was a huge flex on your guys' part of what what capabilities we have. But I'm curious, really, where do you think the the future of all this is going? 
Oh, well, that was like, that's, that's a, a, a very kind comment of you. I, we do, we did have conversations early on thinking that all the stuff in VR that we like so much, all the Google Spotlight stuff that we liked a lot, all those are, or were experiments done to try to define a language that worked for VR. Because I think that that's sort of one of the hardest things for people trying to create narratives in VR is that you can, there's not really a blueprint. There's not really a, 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 a very defined book on how to tell stories in VR. So you have to like come and really follow, you know, trust your gut and really try to figure out like, what is that interesting? We wanted to make sure that we didn't just do something that was already have like that had been done. We wanted to make something that felt like one step ahead of what had been done a couple of years ago by the guys, the guys from Google Spotlights, or even Baobab has been also trying a lot of different things with VR. And we always felt that if we don't like if we put in, in interaction, but we don't make it like we make it feel gimmicky, and we don't make it part of like the engagement with the story, we would be failing the whole purpose of our, you know, impetus to make this story, right? Like, I personally believe that in VR, if you're going to do anything in VR, interaction should be used to enhance the experience of being there. It shouldn't be something that just feels cosmetic or it feels only gimmicky because that is the one thing that VR has that no other medium does. Right. And I feel like people were afraid of doing it early on, but we're now in a point where like we are understanding enough of the medium to start making those steps into implementing interaction. And that's where, you know, in your review in the last episode, I kind of sense that you guys sort of saw the value in what we're doing. And that I, I feel very, very happy that that we it feels like we're getting into that space. I feel for the future. I'm waiting for the people that take what we've done and then take it one step forward. I think when it comes to people telling stories in VR, I'm being, you know, you know, you use the word groundbreaking. Like, who, like whoever's going to break more ground than us is going to be that person that makes an even more flawless like connection between interaction and narrative using the VR as a medium. I feel games are fun and they would always have their space in the platform. That's never going to go away. But I think for anybody else trying to just do things that are more narrative, don't shy away from doing interaction like you said, because it creates something so much more unique than than what you can do in a movie or in a theater play. Like you guys are guys are an example of people that actually got through the story and really, really liked it. But I've been I, I, I was traveling through Spain a couple months ago, showing it to people and going to different places and and the most exciting thing was just seeing people talk back, to, like talk back to Lola when she's talking to them, because it's something that I know comes from from a very almost primitive part of their brain. Because we make the character look at you in the eye and she asks you for things, and it creates this very innate, very normal social like connection with the character that you would never get in a in a normal video game or in a movie or in a theater play, and that helps elevate the entire experience yeah i don't think i've ever had a, an attachment per se to a video game character characters i like characters i didn't but definitely not an overall attachment this movie i i got some pretty big attachment 
Hey, I think we said it during the review. This is just a movie you have to watch. If you're an adult, you're going to you're gonna get the contents of this movie. It's more than just graphics. There's a compelling story that takes place, and I even admitted it, and I still do. It kind of made me emotional. And yeah, this is something I mentioned during the, the podcast review, too. It's like I'm a big fan of, of literature and story development, and it's not often that these kind of animated uh, tales are able to, to really get me invested in these, these characters. So to be able to do that in 45 minutes, I mean, in an animated movie. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, that's I'm not blessing. easy. So yeah, it was more than just these like stunning visuals and nice musical score and lighting. You know, beyond that, even just the hmm. even just the uh, the script and the storyline was amazing. Oh my God. And yeah, this was actually something I even said during our, our podcast review again. Uh, it's not that the first half or the first part was bad or anything, but it's like, you know, I finished the first part. I was like, all right, this is good. Uh, but, you know, that moment I was in the second half from the get-go, I was like, oh, yeah, now I'm really feeling this. That's amazing. So That's off. Yeah. I mean, Lawrence. Sorry. Oh. sorry, sorry. Please carry on. No, no, that was that was entirely my fault. No, yeah. So in case like any of our listeners at home happen to have not seen the movie yet, you know, we keep going on the, on the visuals. It's not just this visual masterpiece at all. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very well written as well. Oh my God, that's like Lawrence, who's the Lawrence and Lydia, who are the co-writers on this, are gonna really love that you guys are saying this. It is, it is something that we, you know, like to to some degree, maybe like we were a little bit obsessive about the story because we knew that again, like we, you know, looking back at how this story came together, like we we are all pretty young. You know, Nogos had been working for like maybe like three or four years at that point. I was just sort of like coming into the industry and we wanted to prove a lot of things. And so we spent a lot of time really questioning and really thinking about what would make, you know, this story interesting. And once I think one of the the things that came in a in almost in a in a lucky way was when we were trying to figure out the whole idea of the I mean, this is not a spoiler, but the idea of the timelines. Um, and having these two perspectives on the same character, we realized that that it was it was tricky plot wise and sort of timing wise and pacing wise, but it allowed us to really uh, speed up the emotional process because if you, you when you meet Lola the first time, you you have no context to know who she is or what she's like or what she wants, and she says uh, you know certain things that could could feel a little bit flat or could feel a little bit sort of like unrelated to anything and then once you've seen you've gone through what she went through as a little girl and then you see her back all of a sudden you just want to give her a hug because you you know exactly you know you've almost lived in first person what she went through and it creates this attachment that allows you in 20 minutes to to go much faster than you would in a book or in a or in a or in a movie because that's the beauty of real time is that when you see in a movie, because it's framed and because it's very stylized, you it kind of feels like you're watching the, the recording of something that already happened. Whereas in in VR, because you are there in the space with a person, it feels like you are seeing the the succession of events in real time and you're being a witness to something that's happening in real time. And that's something that just allows this emotional connection to happen much faster. I like, but but again, this is something that we were not aware of, like from the get go. It's something that we realized that we discovered as we were doing it. So again, it's one of these things that when you're starting to create things in VR, there's so much that you have to 
discover and you have to learn through the process and you have to realize what are the benefits of doing it like that. Um, from the writing perspective, like we, we put a lot of work into understanding also like how you write a mystery because it's one of those things that, that also from a very plot like point of view has its own rules. And, and it took us a long time to like, you know, you, you almost have to feel like start writing the story not really knowing exactly what maybe the the mystery is, and then once you you've laid out the mystery, how can I explain this? It's almost like we, for like for for a long time, for example, we like Manolo was the main character, and and it was much more focused on the uncle, right? We were writing the story, and it took it. We, it, we realized that it, it was much more interesting to look at the story from the perspective of the little girl because she's the one that doesn't know the stuff, right? And and for her, everything is like this new world that she's walking into and, and it's much more relatable that way. And it also allowed us to create a sense of discovery, right? So it took us to figure out the entire plot of Manolo. We we had we, we even wrote everything that was happening before Lola arrived to Madrid, everything that happened to Manolo, all the all the dialogue that you never hear, all the stuff that happens, just so then we could take 20% of what we wrote and then show it from the perspective of the little girl. So those are all, a lot of the things that, again, like it's all on the on the writing, and it's it's very much on the writing from a very classical perspective. Like it's 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 sometimes very easy to, like I said before, get lost on on the fact that you can do anything you want in VR, but the story is king, especially in projects like this. So it took us most of the time, like I was saying before, like eighty percent of the time in, in development was mostly just getting the story to work. Because that gave us a lot, gave us a lot of answers as well in terms of design and lighting and all these things. Because if you don't know what what the purpose of a scene is, things like the lighting is going to feel very flat because you you are not really utilizing it. You, you uh, sorry, utilizing it, utilizing it is that how you say it? Yeah, using yeah. it, I guess, using it in the in the most effective way, right? So, so thank you for for noticing. But yeah, it was like a lot of the work and a lot of the stress was like shouldered on the on the script so so let me ask you when this was put together and i guess you everybody involved was was the intent to actually get the emotion out of people like that <laughs> well i mean for real i mean this movie really will grip you and get you emotional um it was the intent to like once lola became it's like at one point like we wanted to do something very genre specific right especially early on in my case like i was like my favorite part is all the black and white well eh, it's not really a spoiler anyway the the ending part we're not gonna say anything else i'm not gonna say anything else uh, yeah, yeah it's hard to give these things without spoilers yeah, but but that's my favorite part right because it's that is that like much more specific like noir police thing uh very movie like character type of stuff um but once we started like developing the character of Lola, we knew that we couldn't. She couldn't just be a vehicle to for us to show all the cool, fun, adventure stuff. She needed to have her own parallel journey and her own learning to do, and we needed to find a closure to that at the end. And we knew that because the you know the relationship with Manolo is so conflicted and touching, we it was going to become an emotional ending. Like no matter, like if we were honest about what, what her proper ending would be, we knew that we had to go for 
a very emotional ending. I think there were discussions of making a much more adventurous ending where like, you know, I'm not going to say anything else, but like where she does something a little bit more dramatic or she does something a little bit more maybe um, adventurous or even violent at one point. We're thinking like she could take over part of the case that was never unsolved and she would go into like a, it, it would be almost like a revenge story type of thing. But we kind of realized really quickly that that was just distracting us for, from the much more core emotional part of the character that was that that connection with with her uncle and i think once we accepted that and we were honest about that and that i gotta i gotta credit lydia uh, one of all the writers with like really helping us develop what like all the lola story would be but once that you know we knew that and we were honest about that it was all about okay what if, if we're gonna go emotional let's try to hammer as much as we as we can the this like emotional element of it um and, and and that's what like that ending you know like you said before like the idea of like the first episode is the one that has to happen in order to go through the second one and really get the payback for from all the stuff that you've seen right so we knew that for like one thing that we we did intentionally is that because the second episode is very heavy on resolution and the emotional aspect is very important and we need to focus to to allow you to focus on the character very much we don't want you to get too distracted we put much more interaction in the first episode just so it, it would feel more like you know dynamic and fun and it was more like adventures and then the payoff to that or the, the well, in a way the price of going through that very dynamic first episode is to then just go to the second one and really get that emotional payback from the story well again hats off to the the entire team because to be able to get that kind of emotion out of anybody in that kind of time frame, and I know we've said it before, is is absolutely incredible, including for myself. You know, um, yeah, I'm 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 usually not that. I'm uh, very touched by that by these guys. Like we we were all in the studio, very touched by the fact that you guys really liked it so much. Well, I mean, that's just the reality. I can I can probably count the number of movies that have even gotten some sort of emotional reaction out of me, and this movie was definitely able to do that. Oh. I know, I know it's true because D. Scruffles even admitted. It. <laughs> no, I'm I'm usually not that guy at all. So, little little bit of a left field question here. Uh, don't worry. Um, so, how many people are involved in a VR film project like this? I know there's you, there's No Ghost, the people you partnered with. Uh, but you know, how big is a mm-hmm. project like this? Uh, um, past interviews we've had developers, we hear so, like four people teams like quite a bit. I, I wasn't sure if it's the same thing with film. No, this is. No, 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 no. Like we, uh, okay. So the it was me and Nogos for a very long time, right? We're developing the project. Then Atlas Five, which is our producer company that is in France, they are the ones that helped us get financing. They also, you know, I I would say between Nogos and me, six. They brought in a couple of the people. Then because we knew that we needed to do like a lot of keyframe animation. We needed like a a big hefty team of animators, so that was I think six people. It was one animation director and five animators. Then, so that's yeah. Then we had a, an art department of three. We had a CG department of another five or six people. We had sound design, two different teams, the music guy with the music. Like I think we did a calculation at the highest point. We, it was 45 people, 40 people, more or less. 
And then, but the core team for the longest amount of time stayed at around 12 people, more or less, like sort of in and out, different departments. Um, and then as the production started getting to the end of it, it was just a team of about six or seven that were the, we were the ones that really sort of were sort of shouldering all the, the, the ending process to really get it to the finish line. But yeah, it was, yeah, about 40 people at the very highest. Um, cause like all the, like, and most of it is just in terms of the, like the developers, it was really three people. So there was one guy that was doing all the coding, all the engine optimization stuff. We had one guy that was doing all the interaction and then one guy that was doing all the loop dev. And that's, that's already three. That's it. And then everything else was just teams of, you know, we did, th- it's just thousands and thousands of frames of animation that have to be perfectly timed and connected and all the stuff. So that, that, that took a, a lot of people, a lot of time. And then all the art, like, like, you know, like you guys were saying that you were, were appreciating the, the design of the locations, like every, ball of like wrap paper every every sort of um what's the word like um killed cigarette that's in the floor every leaf every bench every everything is like somebody has to go in and like by hand another case it was me or my friend Juancho just like by hand just going in and painting it and, and writing it by hand and doing all the postcards like all the all the stuff is done by by somebody has done it every book every book cover everything so there was a lot of people it's a lot of people no that that's really incredible uh, so this is a question that we usually like to ask our guests for the interviews, and you know it's not something we've touched at all yet. Uh, so, what was your first ever experience in virtual reality? Oh, yeah, was it like a game? Was it studying? Was it film? Uh, yeah, what was your first ever virtual reality experience? Yeah, it was. So, like I said, when I was on that project Milita, I walked into the into the studio. This is back in Madrid a year, years ago. I think they had the DK, I believe the DK2 at that point, 2015. What would you get? Would you get or, or DK1, I guess, maybe? I don't know. One of, yeah, I think it was one of those like early Oculus, like, like you know, rift with like 100 cables coming out of it. And I tried, I walked in and they showed me a few things. The one thing that really caught my eye was the, the, um, the tilt brush. Was that like the drawing app that you have to draw in VR? It was fun, but it always felt like a very gimmicky thing. It wasn't until I saw Pearl, which is a one of the Google Spotlight projects in VR, that I really like I really had to take a step back and be like, that that was unlike anything I've ever seen. That is fucking cool. Um yeah, that was one of those like I, like at that point I was convinced that you know I like I was convinced like within three years everyone is going to be doing VR like all the time. We're still not there, but it's just slowly getting to a point where like I'm now like I'm happy now that I can like some of my friends that are not necessarily gamers or like super heavy techie p- people are starting to get headsets and it's starting to become less weird to have a, a quest in your home. And and I think slowly there's going to be a bigger and bigger audience to to see this type of stuff. No, I, I actually I agree completely. Uh, you know, I think something that's going to be huge in getting to the mainstream is something like an Oculus Quest too. Yeah, I think for most people, you know, just like yourself, you you saw VR in 2015, 2016, and you know your mind exploded. You were like, oh my god, it's only one, two years away before there's how could this not be, you know, uh, in everybody's hands and just completely everywhere. But then you look in, you know, cost preventative things like, you know, 
gaming computer yeah. costs you know eight hundred dollars then you need to get the the eight hundred dollar headset from there uh i don't think it would ever become yeah know, more than just a a couple people playing it versus you have something like oculus quest 2 it's three four hundred dollars you know man the quest is like yeah that's 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 the future uh that's what's gonna be mainstream yeah well I, like one thing i'll say is like is is it's all changing really fast. Like when we started making Madrid Noir, the Quest didn't like oh the Quest One had just come out and the Quest Two was still not not out. So in the since we started and when we did the short film four years ago, the Quest wasn't even a thing. Like I remember the, when the first untethered headset came out was that Vibe the Vibe Focus I think it was called right. Um, I was like, this is the future. And then a year later, you had the Quest 1 and then the Quest 2. And so what I'm saying is that in the last four years, like the the leaps in technology that are happening with, with the headsets are immense. Like the idea that you can just go with a, head, with a Quest 2, I mean, this is not, I wanted to turn into like a, an advertising for the Quest 2, but it is really impressive what you can do with it. Like that you can just, with the Erdlink, connect to your, to your computer and then be able to play like things from Steam with it. And it's just this seamless transition. It's so easy and much more affordable. So I think like now is when you're, that, that's what I was saying. Like I'm seeing now people, friends of mine that have nothing to do with this world really starting to be interested in VR as a, as a, as a fun thing to do and to connect with friends. And, and yeah, like I, I agree with you. I think part of the problem is that is only games. Like most people that I, that I've convinced to buy a headset is not because of the games. It's because of all the, stories and documentaries the 360 videos all those like more immersive experimental stuff um because that's really what's going to bring a new audience to headsets because gamers would always come to like gamers you don't even have to convince them to come into vr it's it's all the other people and you want this to be as mainstream as possible right because it shouldn't just be a, a vehicle for pseudo games it should be a vehicle for culture of all kinds so because of this movie and the attention that it's getting and righteously deserves, do you think that more people or do you feel like more people are reaching out to you who might want to be going down the same path? Into VR? Well, there's definitely interest everywhere. Like the, it, it, down from the festivals, like the, the film festivals are, are starting to pretty much every festival at this point has a section on VR. Um, they, they all want to talk about it. They all want to highlight it. Um, I'm, it, it is almost always every studio has some sort of interactive division that has some, somewhat of an interest in VR. Um, so yeah, there's definitely interest. There's definitely people paying attention. Um, the one thing that, that it is true though, is that as, is that very few people have gone through the process of directing something in VR. So as much as companies and studios want to go that route, it still is going to take a few years for for the talent to to be there, you know, ready to to have the experience to to tell things in VR to use VR in a way that that is you know that makes sense to use it that way. So this opens up the door for a whole new form for directors. Then I think so. I think so. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm thinking because you're kind of taking the whole people element out of it. What do you mean? Yeah, kind of like because you're using your your mental creativity and that aspect of things, other than just that, you know, working with the human being side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. In the, in in that regard, it's like that weird hybrid between directing a video game and directing an animated movie is this weird thing that that you have to have somewhat of experience in both worlds to be able to do something in VR that 
utilizes the technology properly, I think. That's my own personal opinion, by the way. Anyway. So to get back to asking questions directly related to the movie, uh, one of the things I loved and, you know, whose idea was it to uh, to make a lot of the narrative characters silent? And I don't really think that's a spoiler or anything. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I just actually, I think that that's something that, that for me actually helped me get more attached to a lot of the characters uh, and really helped speed up the time. Whereas, you know, usually you would need a whole, you know, two, two and a half hour uh, movie to really get that kind of attachment with characters. I was able to get that attachment uh, with the silent characters in, you know, 45 minutes. And I think that the fact that it was yeah. silent with those characters in dialogue is what really helped me, you know, grow attached to them so fast. Well, that was something that came from originally really early on when, when we were starting to think about that, you know, that, that short film that we did that we call the prologue. Um, it's the idea there was to make something much more inspired by like the Pink Panther type of things, like a very, a slapstick, very silent cinema, little chasey, like chase, and just make it something like very cartoony, very short. We, we always intended to do something that was like a 10 minute little short film. And then once we start, we, we scaled up and we make it this much bigger project. We wanted to keep some of those elements that for us were like thematically important for the look of the project, right? And, and for to utilize the music and the theater aspect of it. If we were to have like characters giving up monologues and stuff like that, it would just like, it would make the, the, the movement of the story much slower. Um, and it would also be much more expensive to make. Um, so, but, but that wasn't really the reason. Like the reason was because originally we always imagine all this stuff as like very much inspired by like Buster Keaton and, um, Charlie Chaplin type of stuff, like very pantomime driven, very much like physical, like, um, storytelling and comedy and then the idea of the narrator came as a as a narrative device to just be able to not so much tell you what's going on but to tell you the way she felt because we wanted to really hammer down those those like emotional cues right but like even when when the action starts and they and she goes out the the narration stops because there's nothing to say there just seeing it you know there's no need to we even tested the with idea of like having more VO in some of those scenes and it just felt like redundant. Like you have two things telling you the same thing. Like just take the voice out and let the visuals to, you know, speak for themselves. Hey, well I think when it all came together so, in the end, it, it it came out great, my friend. Oh, thanks, man. No problem. So uh so are you all done with VR now? Was this a one time VR project? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's a little uh, abrupt of a question. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, do you see yourself uh, going back into like regular animation uh, or, you know, was this something that, you know, now VR is going to be your your focus as a director? I look, we I'm I'm not against the idea of doing more VR at all. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think we actually have like some ideas of some smaller projects that we want to do. We want to do something a little bit smaller because we want to experiment a little bit more. Because on this one, as much as we did a lot of like, you know, breakthroughs with the pipeline and the way we worked, we we were under the pressure of having to make something that had to work and come out in, in a specific platform, specific date. We want to do something a little bit smaller, so the so the pressure is a little bit less to experiment with some ideas on how to do narrative in VR. But at the moment, like the the stuff that I'm developing now. It's it's again like the the lesson that I was talking about before. It's all about the story, right? If 
if the stories that I'm that I'm developing and I'm writing, I feel that they would benefit from being told in VR, then I would go that route. But it's I'm I'm much more driven by the story than I am by the tech necessarily. Um, but again, like I've done it. I, I know how to do it. I know the power that it has. So I'm I'm perfectly open to if an opportunity comes in to tell an interesting story in VR, I there's no reason why I wouldn't say yes. Totally. I was I was actually hoping for more of them in Dridwar. Yeah, more of that Madrid universe. You know, I loved it. <laughs> well, I can't I can't promise anything. We we are we you know, we've thought about what would it take for us to make more VR stuff, more Madrid Noir stuff, sorry. So let's see how it goes. I mean, it, it just came out like, you know, a few weeks ago. So we'll give it a little bit of time. And then depending on how it goes, we will have conversations to maybe make more or see where it, where it can grow. But definitely these characters, we really love them. We really like them. And 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 we have ideas on, on what to do. But it would it would depend more on, on sort of if we see that it finds an audience um, that will do more of it. I, I hope the popularity kicks off where I can actually get to get a little action figure or something. <laughs> that would be so nice man yeah man especially because your sets are like diorama anyways yeah right oh my god that was yeah oh that would, that would be a dream yeah you could have a grid noir right on your tabletop <laughs> to do a little like a little table game like a little board game with little dioramas of buildings and walking around and chasing one another oh that'd be so fun <laughs> that'd be so fun one thing i i didn't get to talk about was um the sound score that you used for this movie on, on what again the, the the sound yeah the actual sound like who was who was that about oh the music is like thank you guys for pointing that out because yeah i i i want to use every opportunity i have to to compliment carlos rodriguez who is our composer to make so in the 30s in spain it still exists but it's not as popular as it was then but there was this very specific type of theater musical type of stuff that happens in spain called zarzuela and it has that, like, a lot of our soundtrack is, like, mixing that, like, old-fashioned, like, Madrid music with a little bit of jazz and that noir aesthetic. And I, I like, we on the team, we were all, like, every time he would send us a track of music, everybody was, like, losing their minds because, like, this is so fucking good. This is, like, way beyond what we expected. It was, we are, we were very, very happy with it. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, for me, that was a, a big part of growing my attachment with all these characters uh, was that sound score. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that... Yeah, I let Carlos know. Yeah, no, that was that was amazing. I think a, a big reason that we're so harping on, like, we don't want it to end is because, you know, at the end of the movie, we, we both had the the same reaction where the, the scene ends and we both just scream, no! <laughs> like, we wanted more uh, more content because just because of how good it was. Uh, so I think that that's why, you know, me and Stratus over here keep harping on, you know, is, is there going to be more of the Lola story who, you know, like you said, you know, maybe in the beginning she fell a little bit flat, uh, on people like myself, but like by the end, my, my opinions on a lot of nice. these characters, uh, you know, it was a complete 180. So, you know, I think that's why we're so, so big on it. Yeah. Yeah. We have like a lot, I, I, I like, I don't want to go too much into spoilers, but there's that, there's that bad guy. Not the really bad guy, the other one. No, no, yeah, no, that's a little bit of a spoiler. Yeah. I know, but he, yeah, he has like a tall, like, a, like we have a, a lot of ideas for him, but, but yeah, again, like if, if anybody comes knocking down our door and says like, hey, we want you two guys to do more Modinoir, we have a, a whole chest of ideas. So we're like, great, let's get something out of here and just do something with it. But for now, you know, the powers that be have to like 
you know, see see it as a valuable option. But we're ready. I I do love the reference you made to the Pink Panther, though. Mm. It definitely has that that kind of feel to it. Oh, nice. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think the only thing that's really stopped this movie from picking up a lot of steam is the fact that, you know, besides what you said, that it's only been out for, like, what, three weeks? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's also the fact that I think that there's a, a subset of virtual reality gamers that anything that's not like their definition of a virtual reality game, they don't want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's something that that, that was our experience. Like, or, like it has been in the last few weeks. Like, we realized that the the it's pretty much split. Like, people either absolutely love it or they feel that they have been weirdly cheated. Even though you know we never said that it wasn't a movie. But but yeah, like I, I agree. I think it's just there's there's certain there's there's still an idea out there of of a lot of people that think that that or, or like they have a, a very strict idea of what VR should be used for, and and anything that challenges that it gets a little bit you know or rejection. I personally, I'm I'm confident that it would you know it will find the audience, and I'm and I think like it would be totally fine. Yeah, I hope it all stays positive. I mean, the only thing I think I ever read was somebody that was just complaining that they didn't feel that it was actually um interactive enough yeah that's but again like you know we yeah but the thing is like how much interaction do you even yeah want? And, and it's not you even know, it's, it's yeah. not a video game in the end yeah and it's not even like that to be honest like I, I was mentioning it but it's not like he's keeping us awake and like we're he's like taking us it's like look we we've done something we that we really believe in we're really proud of it we know we, we are a hundred percent sure that that it has an audience because we've already seen it. We've seen people like really, you know, you guys are an example of it. There's a lot of other people like, you know, in festivals in Tribeca and in in Sundance and no, sorry, in Sundance in Cannes and in in uh, Annecy and all these places. When I was in Madrid, everybody that saw it like was really connected to it. So we know that that is there. It's just, you know, it feels that the VR community is kind of split into the people that are enthusiastic about it and make it and really want to see all the new experimental stuff. And then there's people that just want to play their VR games and, and they don't see the value on a stuff that feels a little bit more maybe, you know, um, artistic, you know, for the lack of a better word. But I'm sure that that would slowly sort of, you know, become much more sort of the, the norm. Yeah, this is actually something I even encountered uh, beyond just the games and experiences thing of virtuality. Uh, I noticed that there's kind of this old guard of, of PC VR. Uh, you know, when I first got my Quest, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I hopped on like the subreddits for, for the Oculus Quest and for virtual reality. And uh, I noticed that there was this, this large subset of people who, you know, they had been doing virtual reality since it, you know, first started coming out 2015, 2016. <laughs> and anything that was, you know, Oculus mobile processor, Oculus exclusive, uh, you know, it was instantly shunned as anti-Facebook and, uh, you know, mobile processor, weak graphics, kids games. And it was just, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of hate going towards, yeah. um, anything that didn't fit their definition of, of what virtual reality should be. So there's a little bit of even elitist mentality with just PC VR versus Oculus Quest. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, they are, they're gatekeepers, right? Like they want to keep it like what they thought it was their, their own unique thing. I think like, but, but the numbers speak to like, dude, like there are more Quest 2 than there are any other headset. So if, if anybody coming in, they cannot, they, they just can't ignore making stuff for that, for the Quest 2, because that's where most of their audience is going to come from. So it's what it is. And like, exactly. Yeah. You can be upset at it, but you know, without something like this, uh, PC VR is forever going to stay at, you know, 5,000 users. Mm. 
yeah. uh, very small niche. And I get it. It's its own thing and everything like that. Uh, but if we're ever really going to see VR break into the masses, it's going to take something like the the Quest 2. Absolutely. 100%. So I'd like to see really the VR community get more open to embracing, you know, a lot of these new headsets, uh, games, experiences, even if they're not as powerful as some of the PC VR alternatives, just because if we ever want to see VR grow, you know, we're all really going to need to embrace this stuff together. 100%. Man, this is amen. Totally. Yeah, I think people also need to actually read descriptions when they buy something. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, most of the, the reviews I've read from people who are angry, it was pretty obvious that they never, they never read it before they bought it. Yeah. You see that a lot with these. It's like people kind of buy it and then go back later and then drop a view. Like, yeah, nowhere oh. was it ever mentioned that, you know, this was a video game. Yeah, no. Yeah. And yeah, nowhere does it say you're going to get up and jump around and move around a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, It was actually something that I had said during the review that, you know, the spots that it has you interact actually make sense. You know, it's like, how much interaction do you want? It's a movie, not a game. Yeah. Well, that wasn't that we wanted to, like, be very mindful of that is that, you know, like I was saying before, like, it it should never feel gimmicky. Like, they, they have to feel like they are somehow furthering a concept for the story or they are they are helping you understand Lola better. Like, you know, I'm not gonna do a spoiler because you can see in the trailer, but there's a moment where you you pick up the camera, right? And you're taking photos of Manolo outside. The the idea there is is not just to put something because we can't do it, is to to further the idea that, you know, as an audience, Lola is not just telling you that Manolo was doing things that were suspicious, is that you're actually seeing how Manolo was doing suspicious things. So, so when C tells you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I saw what you're talking about. So I now believe you even more. I, I have, I'm grounded into your, into what you're saying. And those are the sort of things like why we were discussing about like the interaction is that it has to have a reason why you're doing it. Otherwise, don't add it. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you guys appreciate it. Like if you guys can appreciate it, anybody can. Like it's just, that's the thing. That's what gives me hope in not, I hope that doesn't come across like wrong, but it's the idea that, you know, you guys are gamers. I'm a gamer. I'm like, I play it to my friends that are gamers and use VR and they see it and they're like, this has value. This is interesting. This is something that should be out there. So I think like, it's just a matter of time that it just gets there. Yeah, no, this is one of those that if you can just get somebody in front of it and have them sit through it, uh, I think that there's no way that they aren't sold mm. on it completely. Um, you know, this is something that we both talked about that, you know, both me and Strass here, we need mm. to ourselves be more open-minded to to trying new experiences and stuff like that, because you look at something like this, you know, we finish it and just, wow. That's good. So yeah, no, definitely we need to be op- more open-minded ourselves. Uh, but I could definitely see how somebody else would have that same mentality. Um, so I think that's why we're good people to hear this from. Cause it's like, Hey, this isn't our first pick for a, a VR experience either. And we finish <laughs> it and, uh, you know, we're leaving it going. This is something we need to explore more of. Uh, you know, that's been really one of the biggest like, wow moments in VR for me is uh, pretty much everything that I liked outside of VR with console gaming and PC gaming did not apply at all the second I came over to virtual reality. Any genre I liked, any preconceived notions I had on on what I liked all went out the sec- all went out the window the second I put a headset on. Like usually I hate shooters, but in VR I I just mm. find them uh, absolutely mind-numbingly fun. I know. It's a whole other thing. I I was recently playing this game called Demio. Is it called Demio? Yep, it's um, Demio. That tabletop game? Oh, yeah. 
It's so fun. Like I, I, I'm, you know, I, I again, it, it, it was. I'll tell you what. I played it with some friends, and I was like, "This is the first. Like, this is one of the first things that I actually do in VR that that fulfills that promise of hanging out with your friends, playing this one game, and being able to chat and play and have a good time. Everybody in their headsets. It was the funnest thing. It was so great, and it was one again. Like I, I don't get that social aspect from playing in my own PC with like my games. Like I don't, I play some games on my PC, but I never play socially, you know, with my headset and just playing like shooting games. But in the, in that case, it's like, this is some of the most interesting social slash gaming experiences that I've ever had. And again, it's VR. Yeah, it's an experience and I'm just happy it's being pushed in the right direction. Uh, so let me ask you, uh, hmm. for Demio, Who's your favorite character to use? <laughs> uh, they're, they're curious. Okay, I've I've been mostly using the paladin and the assassin. Yeah, that's actually funny. I I usually use the guardian paladin and Stratus over here, the archer. Right. Except, well, on this this new Rat King map, we seem to both be going with guardian for a little bit more success. I haven't finished it. I haven't been able to finish it yet. Yeah, no, us either. Except, well, in fairness, we've been stuck out the last few weeks on a township <laughs> tale. Oh, I see. Yeah, that that's a good new one. But no, this new this new map, man. You know that that first one wasn't too bad, nah. but the second one, oh, dude. Yeah, I'm supposed to try to finish it tonight with some friends, so I'll I'll update you if you if we finish it. Yeah, I I've yet to talk to anybody that's finished that map yet. I've been reading about some people beating it. Uh, it seems they fixed that issue with the arrows going all the way through the walls. But yeah, last time we played, we we spent, you know, a three and a half hour session, made it all the way to the third floor with the boss, you know, just to lose after three and a half hours. Oh, shit. Yeah. And like on the second floor, we spent, you know, 30, 40 minutes just stuck in a corner, just murking nonstop waves of enemies. Uh, we eventually got out, but, you know, shit. In the end, we ended up losing to the queen it's anyway. Brutal. Yeah. So it, good luck tonight with your friends, because if you can beat it, you know, hats off to you. <laughs> So were you into to tabletop board games before Demio, or is that your first endeavor? Yeah, I've always liked tabletop games. I have a couple of friends that that publish them and make them. And yeah, like I that's the thing. I and that's where VR is interesting because it's very non-threatening. I think that's really like even my girlfriend is is playing some VR games here and now here and there because I think this this had this idea with like gaming and the idea of like con- big consoles or computers and PCs and stuff like that. That is quite like there's quite a bit of a of a of a blockage at the beginning, or, or the entry is quite threatening. Whereas the VR is really welcoming because it's so intuitive. It's just all there's no controllers to use. It's just so easy to just like move your way around. Um, so it's very inviting. I really like all the stuff that I that I like outside of VR. I can find it in VR, and I really enjoy exploring it. Yeah, it's definitely a welcome part of the future, and I mean get it wrong I'm, I'm a little older so i remember when video games started back in my day when they were literally just a square block and that was supposed to be a circle so and I, yeah and now to be able to be in an open world 360 degree environment it's, it's pretty just amazing. crazy yeah absolutely even in a 360 absolutely. even in a 360 movie theater too you know that's that's the next come level. on like yeah man I've, I've I played it to I played my dream war to to like my mom and my aunt and like people like that and their reaction is the most earnest you can put like when when somebody that has hasn't had any gaming experience in their life and they go in into a headset just their reaction is de- like it's so in, it's so crazy it's it's almost like like giving them 
acid for the first time or something like that. You know, it's like this crazy trip that, and you see them in their faces in there, like they, they get emotional in VR because it's such a, again, it's, it's, I, I feel like, 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 like that, like when you when people that have done VR are talking about VR to people that don't know about VR, it feels like we're a bunch of druggies just talking about drugs to people that don't take drugs because it's so hard to explain. It's like a mind altering experience. It completely changes the way you're, you, you perceive a space and time. Like, like Madrino R is 45 minutes. Most people think they've been in it for like 10. No, actually, I, I agree with that a lot. You know? Um, yeah. The time that I was in there it didn't, yeah. didn't feel like 45 minutes at all. This is crazy. Yeah, although I will admit, I think I definitely did extend my viewing time a little bit past 45 minutes uh, by the amount I was oh. playing with everything in the beginning, in that opening scene. Yeah. Yeah, without giving too much spoilers, you know? Yeah, he's made for that, man. He's made for that. That's totally fine. That was the point. So, uh, Stratus, do you have anything else that you want to ask our guest here before we wrap things up and go too far down the, the Demio rabbit hole? Since, you know, we've already spent, you know, so much time talking about that. <laughs> yeah, that was actually our, our first episode was was Demio. Then we just did a, a review of that new DLC. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I think definitely our viewers could take a little little Demio break versus hearing right. us talk about it for another two to three hours, which we will very easily do. I just hope people are receptive to this and sharing it with their friends. I mean... I know yeah. if I have someone come over, I'm I'm 100% going to have them watch it. Amazing. Thank I just hope there's another movie in the works. Yeah. Well, you guys will be the first to know. <laughs> That's exactly what I like to hear. <laughs> this is... Now, I had a lot of excitement for this interview, so I'm sad to see it kind of wrap up. Oh. Well, thank you so much, guys, for like being so supportive of the project and really wanting to like people to see it. And this is... Is very sweet and and it makes us feel like much more welcomed by the community. It's really nice. Thank you so much. No, huge thank you to everyone involved, everyone who had any part with it, even the person who might have run and gotten a coffee for everyone. <laughs> you know, the sound yeah. guys, uh, the lighting guys, everybody involved in the the different little elements of this movie. You know, all of those things oh. together is, is really what made this thing oh. uh, such a masterpiece, in my opinion. So, so really, hats off to everybody involved in this. Now, I was making the Pixar comparisons. I mean, if you had told me that Pixar put their name on this, I 100% would have believed it. Yeah, that was that was very, very flattering. We're all big fans of Pixar. No, there was something about the, the shading or, I, I, I don't know, the glare, the shine, something specifically about the eyes. I remember telling D. Scruffles, like, hey, man, when you, when you look at this, really, you got to check out those eyes. <laughs> flap flap the 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 cg guy is gonna be very happy about those those because we we worked really hard on those highlights and he really like burst his brain to that to make them i was like we need highlights because otherwise you just don't connect to the character the same way and he delivered and and you know this is a testament that it's important to have highlights on ice no and i was a big fan of a lot of the artwork like the the wide big exaggerated chest the the super wide hips with the thin waist yeah man yeah i, I love that style of artwork something about it uh nice it, it, it makes it a weirdly more immersive for me so i mean is there anything really even bad to say about it no that was actually something that we talked about on uh on the podcast a lot <laughs> Uh, that's usually the the format of our our episodes. We do like our pros, our cons, what we like, dislike. You know, maybe some different <laughs> things we would add to it. I got to it, and I was like, "Well, what do we what do we what say do we dislike?" Say? <laughs> oh, guys, thank you so much. So yeah, James, thank you again so much for your time here today. Guys, 
An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us this little space to talk about the project. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Definitely like to keep in touch and uh, yeah. have you on the show again. Absolutely. So, yeah, for any of our listeners who have still yet to watch Madrid Noir on the official Oculus Quest store, man, I say get on that. Get <laughs> that on your headset. Keep it on your headset for when you got grandma over, a uh, friend. You know, it's a great first uh, VR experience to really show somebody the capabilities of virtual reality. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. And for our listeners at home, I hope you guys all have a great rest of your day.